know, it's like celebrities doing the tour, being invited to the White House. And Nixon and McDonald's. Hitler, this guy gets around. He's got a type. Married women and asshole leaders. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to History's Greatest Idiots, the podcast in which we look back on various examples of stupidity from human history and teach you lessons so that you never repeat those same mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans, we make mistakes all the time. Joining me, as always, one of the best people I have ever worked with in my life, Mr. Derek. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing awesome, and now I'm blushing. <laughs> so kind. I, I, yeah, I, I like to give you your, bene- your, uh, your props. You're very, very good, and it's, it's great working with you. So um, how has your week been, sir? What have you been up to? It's been uh, an interesting week, I think, if I mm. can kind of remember. Still having the brain fog <laughs> from Wednesday's second COVID Moderna shot. Nice. But my side effects were minimal, so yeah. I've been running around like a crazy person. I did my first harvest of uh, my um, special magic garden. Oh, cool. Yes, where all the wonderful things happen. Yeah, yes. it's all uh, it's all canned and waiting to be awesome. consumed eventually. See, see we have a, a special garden, but ours is like um, spinach and tomatoes. <laughs> And onions and stuff like that. I it's, actually it's, got my, my first Roma uh, tomato, tomato. Nice. Um, except for it's the size of like a cherry. Yeah, like, so. it takes a while to get there. Um, I remember when I grew veg back in North Wales and um, I was very proud that I'd grown like these little tomatoes in this enormous raised bed. And then my grandmother came over and she's been growing vegetables for like 80 years. And she was like, oh, I just brought you some tomatoes, love. And she, they're, they're like the size of my fist. I was like, How do you do that? She's like, oh, I'm just practice, you know. So uh, it was just really funny that there's me tr- so proud of this little cherry tomato I've, I've grown. And she's made something that looks like a character out of a 50s horror film. It was amazing. <laughs> Tag of the killer tomatoes. Yes. It was amazing. I couldn't believe this tiny, tiny 80, well, 88-year-old um, woman had grown this enormous tomato that was like half the size of her. It was amazing. That's, so. that's there you go on history yeah. right there is uh, <laughs> we in the future are idiots because we, we look back on, oh, them farming communities and them yeah. farming settlements and we don't know how to grow our own food. There's like 12 no. of us over here that know how to do it. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the reason she knows how to grow stuff like that is because she survived the Blitz at the Second World War when the, the Luftwaffe were bombing the absolute shit out of Manchester. And we obviously were getting cut off because we didn't have enough food in this country and the Germans were sinking all of the, the shipping and transport vessels Dicks. and stuff. So we had a, a campaign in this country called Dig for Victory, which encouraged every single household in the country to turn their backyards and back gardens, no matter how small it was, into like a little farm, a little small holding type thing. And her and her parents were constantly growing vegetables and stuff like that. And that's how she learned, because if you didn't grow your own vegetables, you had to rely on the ration food that everyone got. And that was not a lot of food. Right, so, that would yeah. suck. That, yeah. It did suck. And the, the rationing didn't end until the 50s. That's how long it took us to recover from the war. Damn. So, 
Yeah, I know. Well into the 50s until we got off rationing in this country. So, yeah, so she learned to grow massive vegetables because she's like, oh, if we don't eat them, I guess I'll be losing weight and feeling unwell. So, uh, yeah. That, yeah. Man, the benefits I, of war. <laughs> I tell you what, I learn almost as much from uh, from you uh, wow. just telling me stories about how things are. <laughs> Honestly, I thought I had a good idea how the world worked and things, and I'm learning, like, Different little tidbits here and there uh, that are so so different in America, yeah. Compared to very different shared experiences, I think. Um, but they're they're the same but different. <laughs> yeah, it's it's because we don't think that there's some sort of great divide between, like, say, America and the UK. But when you do spend, like, I've spent a lot of time in the states, like months at a time, and you do kind of experience quite different cultural shifts and norms and changes and things like that and just things that people take for granted in different parts of the country it's it's kind of night and day at time i remember having a conversation with a woman in florida who was complaining that fuel was reaching like i think it was like a dollar a gallon now i'm i'm dating myself now. this is like 20 years ago and i was like a dollar a gallon really and she was like yeah it's so expensive i was like right we pay like 1 pound 20 per liter and i was like right so first of all 1 pound 20 is like 2 dollars 50 because the exchange rate was like 1 for 2 at the time and um and she was like oh right how much is a liter and i was like there's like 4 or 5 liters in a gallon so she's like, holy shit, you guys pay a lot for fuel. And I was like, yeah. And uh, and we've got really narrow winding roads, so it goes really quickly. So, yeah, yeah she's like, oh, I don't think I'll ever complain about it again, to be honest. I feel like we yeah. drive a lot more here, though. You definitely do. S- like, spread out. But you out. can. You have to. Because everything's so far apart. Like, you guys don't think anything of, like, a three, four-hour car journey. For us, that's a nightmare. Like, spending three, four hours in a car, we're ready to kill the other person who we're in it with because the cars are so much smaller and everything's so much louder and so much difficult, so harder to get to that you just want to murder the other person in the car by the time you get to the destination. Yeah. So you guys go on road trips. We're like, I don't want to fucking go on a road trip. Well, I'll murder someone. That's, I mean, it's three hours from where I live in Arizona to the Grand Canyon. And, like, that's the big <sighs> thing. Yeah. And... I didn't. I thought it was weird. My wife was born and raised here. She's never been to the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, yeah. you're in the same damn state. But you're right. It's three <laughs> hours up there. I did take yeah. her for her birthday a couple of years ago, though. So yeah, she's, that's, she's that's now seen cool. the hole in the ground. She's now seen the giant hole in the ground. It was like, admire nature's wonder. It made a giant hole. It's like, oh, we can do that. All right, let's go then. <laughs> let's get the shovels and go home. Uh, yeah, so great. Um, we've we've I've had a, a kind of a very busy last two weeks here. We went back to my see my family in Wales. We um we got to meet the puppy for the very Aww. first time. How did yeah? That- she, oh, it was so cute. It was just the most <laughs> adorable thing. First of all, the mother was tiny. The mother is a, a little uh, red wire haired dachshund called Ada, and she just she was the tiniest little thing, and she had these four adorable puppies and we'd pick them up and I put one on my shoulder and immediately went to sleep and started like licking my neck with its tiny thing Aww. and after about 20 minutes being away from the mum the mum started crying so we, we gave her the baby back and we picked up another baby and gave that one a cuddle uh, my wife was in heaven because she was just like holding all these adorable babies and I was just the best and we got to see people and stuff and uh, since I got back it's been like 45 50 hours of work 
that's, every yeah. single yeah. That's a lot of work. It's been busy, man. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Anyway, away from work. We've been very busy, but I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to our next installment of History's Greatest Idiots. And I would like to know, you sort of teased who it was to me a few, well, a couple of days ago now. We're talking royalty. Am I right? Tell me who your idiot of the week is. Okay, so I'm real interested to see your take because, like I said... I thought that I understood how everybody viewed everything everywhere, and I <laughs> n- no idea. So okay. now with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in the news a mm. lot in the recent past here, I kind of wanted to take a look at the OG of scandalous abdication. Ooh, in the okay. name of love. <laughs> okay, I think um, I know where this is going. I normally present mine in in a way that I keep you guessing all the way till the end, mm. but. This this one's not going to work that way. It's just too yeah, obvious. It, it's probably too recent as well, I'd imagine. So it's kind of kind of recent. Oh. I mean, there is a show on Netflix right now, The Crown, that ah, deals yeah. with some of the goings on during his mm-hmm. lifetime. Sure. <clears throat> okay. Gotcha. I still haven't seen yeah. that show. I, I hear it's great. It's really good. It is really good. The thing is, it's very British. Um, it's it's glamorized Britishness. Okay. So prepare yourself for... As much as I love British shows and British culture, there are times when I'm watching British dramas and things like that, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, pick up the pace a little bit, please, <laughs> for the love of God. So, yeah, if you can, like... If you're wide awake and you're willing to watch something, The Crown is a good show. Like, you can see money in the thing. $100 million per season has been spent on this okay. thing. So it is lavish, but it can be a little slow in places. But, yeah, it's very well done. Excellent performances. So, yeah, give it a go if you can. I, I prefer my, my history shows to be more like The Great, which are just wildly, crazily inaccurate and <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I kind of like that as well sometimes, in fairness. Yeah, just a little bit of... Uh, yeah, just twist it a little bit. I don't mind if it's not 100% accurate, as long as it keeps me entertained. The scary really. thing is, is I think some people might actually get their history from shows like that. Oh, they absolutely do. I, I exclusively get my science from shampoo commercials these days. So, <laughs> shampoo and toothpaste commercials, that's that's all I need to know about science. I'll leave the rest of the experts. Thank you very much. Indeed. Well, <laughs> this gentleman was born June 23rd, 1894, as... Edward Albert Christian George Andrew Patrick David during the reign of his great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, but most people remember him as Edward, is it eight, the Eighth, or Edward Eight? Um, or how do you guys say that over there? Uh, it would be the Eighth. I was, I was just trying to think if he, I'd never remember him as Edward the Eighth. That's the thing, we just know him as that guy that abdicated, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Yeah, no, we, we remember him. Uh, there's a conflicting remember... The way people look back on history, not a lot of nice things are, are, are kind of said about this guy, but because his brother was like the king during the war, like he's remembered really fondly, and everyone loved the queen mother in this country who was his his wife. So, you know, we, we, we like him for abdicating so his brother could take over sort of thing. which so, yeah. which is kind of what i was figuring a little bit but then yeah. i'm like man i don't know you guys love the royals and might piss people mm, off but i'm gonna do. go for it anyway <laughs> <laughs> as a young man edward wanted to join the navy i guess but um when his father uh became king that kind of went out the window 
Mm. So from my understanding, he attended the Royal Naval Academy in... That Greenwich? Uh, Osborne? Oh, cool. Okay. But he had to transfer to Oxford for a more academic education once his father became king. Oh, I bet Um, that was really annoying. Oh, you've got to transfer to Oxford University. Oh, damn it, father. How dare you? With him being more of a party animal and a polo jock uh, than a than a bookworm, sure. he he really didn't care for it too much. Um, <laughs> it was very he studious in Oxford. Dropped out after eight terms without any academic qualifications. Jesus, that's really bad. I kind of skipped over some stuff, but in 1910, fine, no. when his dad became king, he became the Duke of uh, Cornwall and Duke of mm-hmm. Ro- Rothsay. Rothsay. Um, how's that spelled? R-O-T-H-E-S-A-Y? Rothsay, yeah. Okay. And a little over a month after that, he got an interesting birthday present and Mm -hmm. was officially the... uh, Got the official title of Prince of Wales for his 16th Ah, birthday. Successor to the throne. Okay. And that's when he wandered off to Oxford and then played (laughs) polo and partied and dropped out. Yeah. I'm gonna be king. Let's get smashed. And then in 1914, war broke out. So it shook things up a little bit, and he was Mm -hmm. of fighting age at the time and jumped at the chance to serve. I hear he was a little bit bloodthirsty, joined Mm. the Grenadier Guards in 1914, and despite Parliament's best efforts to keep him away from the front lines, he made a ton of trips to experience life in the trenches himself, which I think is kind of admirable, at least. Oh, it definitely is, because the conditions in those trenches were fucking terrible. Really, Nasty. really horrible. Yeah, really bad. People were dying of just dysentery, and the shell shock, the the trauma that the men s- suffered on both sides of the war, just being in those trenches is just horrifying. So, yeah, I mean, for all his flaws... I'm really pleased that he did do stuff like that, because back in the early 20th century, people thought the world of the royals. So, yeah, that would have been really good. So, fair dues to that. Credits for him him there. He won the Military Cross in 1916 for all of his trips. But for as much as he liked to visit the trenches for experiences, every chance that he got uh, leave, he took off to Paris to party. Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't? Jesus, can you imagine... Paris in the early 20th century when you've got all the money in the world that is that is right. a scene to be in I think it's a trip I'm going to take a break from the trenches in the war and go party <laughs> in Paris it <laughs> freaks me out a little bit but it, it works does. He started partying with a high class uh courtesan Marguerite Albert okay. uh, car- carried on a passionate lustful affair for a little over a year and that would lead to one of his first controversies because in 1923 Marguerite shot and killed her husband in a popular swanky hotel in London and then went on trial. So the royal family's (laughs) PR team had to white-knuckle his name right out of being mentioned in the trial, which they were able to do. I I wasn't aware of that, but also that happened all the fucking time with the royals. Jesus, especially the offspring of Queen Victoria. They were, some of them were fucking wild. So, yeah. I like a party animal now and again. Yeah, why not? Kind of scary when it's your leader. I mean... (laughs) I mean, yeah, if you're like... It's interesting the way royals do kind of wild. They do drinking, high-class affairs, stuff like that. Whereas, like, you got Bosch who's like, I'll just do a bit of blow and drive a car, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's... Yeah. Hey, we... 
we 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 like to do everything just a little bit bigger over yeah, here. Yeah, just a little bit more. Yeah. So after that trial was over, it started to become kind of evident that he had a type of woman. And okay. That type of woman was the married type married, of woman. Married, yeah. yeah. Oh, fucking was scumbag. A big <laughs> fan of chasing married ladies and Ugh. definitely wasn't thinking of settling down like a good responsible royal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out he even had a little bit of a harem going on for a minute. Oh, um, yeah. In 1930, Prince Edward was given the lease to Fort Belvedere in Windsor Great Park. Mm-hmm. And it became kind of a den of sin. Oh, my God. He was yeah. getting down with all the married ladies he could <laughs> find, running them through in and out, <laughs> including the English socialite Freda Dudley. Ward. Yes. Yes. And I know that name. The American beauty Thelma Furness. Furness. She was a sure wife of a English dig- dignitary. Okay. Probably, probably not a smart move, but I mean, no. I guess he's chasing married ladies. It's it's all good. <laughs> yeah, as all long of- as they're they're related, as long as they're married to your underlings, I guess it's okay in British society to do that. So it, it seems to be the way of the world, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Peter the Great did it too. Fuck yes, he did. <laughs> um, God. All of Edward's debauchery to that point led to his father saying, I quote, after I'm dead, the boy will ruin himself in 12 months, which mm-hmm. wasn't really wrong. I mean, no. he wasn't far off. <laughs> it uh, wasn't at all. <laughs> Edward's friends with benefit package with Thelma led to his downfall, though, because it was through her that he met one Wallace Simpson. Yes. And... At the time, she had already been married once, and when she started up with Edward, uh, she was still married mm-hmm. to That's her second right. husband, uh, mm-hmm. an American businessman, I believe. Yeah, I think he was like a car salesman or something like that. Well, screw him then. Like <laughs> <laughs> Clocking um, the cars. Didn't really bother Edward that she was married because, well, he loved well, married women. thing, yeah. Plus, That's his kink. He was kind of still doing his thing with Thelma. At the same time, crawling in and out her window. So, in a sense, he was cheating on his mistress with his own mistress. Married mistress, yeah. Well, she was cheating on him with her husband, I suppose. His harem must have been furious at this. (laughs) I don't know. It got so confusing that I'm like, I don't know who's screwing who, but it sounds like he's getting down with How many women is he sleeping with? Uh, All of them. Yeah, almost. (laughs) Prima nocta, all round. So... He's doing all of this, but right. after about a year, uh turns out him and Simpson fa- fall totally in love with each other. Yes, they and did. That it's not a good thing if you're trying to be king, falling in love no. with a D4A that's still married. Yeah, I I have my issues with the whole like you can't marry a divorcee and stuff like that. I mean, I know it's not a thing anymore, but even I know it was scandalous at the time, but really who gives a shit? You know, there were far worse things going on in the world, especially yeah, with the royals. Well, trench warfare. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, we can't have you marry a divorcee. It's like you sending a whole generation of boys off to die. That, nah, nah, this is the line right here. Yeah. Divorce. Yep. Nope. Can't have it. <laughs> they, they tried incredibly hard to keep that romance secret for as long as they could. But when Edward decided to go public with it, he did so in a very scandalous sort of stunt where he introduced uh, Sim- Wallace Simpson to his mother in the middle of a formal Buckingham Palace function, 
which oh my God. that's something I guess you don't do because at the time, Devil or Says weren't even really allowed in that capacity in no. the palace. So wow. she was pretty pissed. Um, I, he's not a man of great subtlety, is he? He's like, I'll do everything at 100,000%, and that's the only way I know how to do life. Which is really good for an action movie star, but not so much, <laughs> I think, for the leader of a country. No. So she showed her displeasure with that stunt by refusing to accept them together at sure. all the stuff going forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In ja- uh, on January twentieth, nineteen thirty six, King George, his father, passed away, and Edward so. became king. Uh, despite mm-hmm. the messy affair that was going on with his currently married former divorcee, <laughs> and the very next day, he decided the the best way to ascend to the throne would be to watch the proclamation of his own ascension through the window of a St. James's palace with Wallace Simpson by his side, which mm. is another slap in the face. Here's my mistress that's still married. <laughs> I'm going to watch my uh, ascension to the throne, my proclamation. I don't, I don't I'm know not getting out of works. bed for this. I'm staying yeah. with this woman. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, man, I, I'm just... I'm, I'm not real sure how that all works. Like when they're becoming king, yeah, is, they need to be there. Is that um, so? The, the coronation, he will absolutely have to be there for like the whole Westminster Abbey. Here's the Archbishop of Canterbury. Here's your, I don't know, your men tap dancing down the fucking aisle or whatever it is they do during the ceremony, <laughs> and like they'll place that they'll give him the scepter and the crown and they'll make him fart on the stone of Scone from Scotland or whatever it was. This is a whole <laughs> procedure to it, and it's the most elaborate, ridiculous thing that's meant to instill um, reverence for the royals and like you must know your st- look how powerful we are we have a stone from scotland that sits underneath our throne that's what we think of the scots and so this whole Damn. thing i know the the fucking royals are i mean it look i i have mixed feelings about the royals because they are just people but a lot of the ceremony around royalty and especially in this country it is fucking bananas it is batshit crazy so yeah i <laughs> Uh, like when you ascend, it might just be a question of uh, this is the BBC uh, that we have a new king, and he's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. But the coronation, he can't really stay in bed banging Wallace Simpson. I'm afraid, right? And he didn't because he became the first <laughs> member of the royal family to take a flight on a plane. He flew his ass back there, which Good. was neat. So he's got yeah. another mark on the cool check of cool yeah. things that he's done. Good. Um, Right from the start, he started causing issues in government circles. and There's a shock. A lot of people didn't trust him, and they were really <laughs> bothered by his behaviors, so they tried mm. not to send him any sort of confidential documents or government secrets because they knew what was going on at his den of sin there, and they yeah. kind of figured that Simpson or some of his other fun-time pals might <laughs> come across the confidential information and government secrets. Yeah, Plus, there was a lot of concern about Wallace Simpson at the time because she was very like no one really knew enough about her and MI5 at the time would have been very suspicious of her so yeah she's kind of sneaky and a little mm. bit conniving from what mm-hmm. i understand she had a oh, plan yeah. but yeah. He, you know he also didn't look at any of them he didn't take any of that seriously so it's kind of like screw him anyway <laughs> In 1936 on July 16th less than a half a year after he was crowned 
there was an attempt on his life by an Irishman mm-hmm. of the name Jerome Bannigan. Is that correct? Oh, I think yes, I think I remember this. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that's right. It, it wasn't like he even did too much. He just no. produced a pistol and pointed it at him, which pretty much yeah didn't fire. Happens all that. the time over here. Yeah, like, well, we covered Andrew Jackson. Uh, the guy tried to kill him with two pistols. They both misfired, and Jackson beat him into unconsciousness. So, yeah, it's a regular thing, apparently. See? Well, it turns out there's a whole sordid story that MI5 might have been behind oh, setting yeah. that up. He at sure. least claimed that it was a thing, but that's that's a whole mm-hmm. other deal. Yeah, uh, he, he did fall... have big problems of paranoia. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, yeah. Well, by fall of 1936, it was clear that he had intentions to marry Wallace Simpson, Mm -hmm. and on November 16th, he officially formally told the Prime Minister that he intended to marry his mistress, and that didn't go well. I bet it didn't. Also, uh, as the king, he was the head of the Church of England, and he told them that he wanted to marry her, and that didn't go well, because the Church saw the marriage of a divorcee... uh, making her queen kind of sacrilege. Yeah, they, they they take that very, very seriously because going back hundreds of years to the point where the royals really started to go insane after um, people died off in the uh, the Black Plague and stuff like that, kings started seeing themselves as a divine representative of um, God on Earth. Like There, there was a, a very young king who approached a, a, a whole slew of rioters on horseback. He was about 11 or something. I can't remember the king's name. But he approached them. They were asking for reforms because, you know, loads of people were dead and they were getting loads of work and they wanted power a bit, which is fair enough. He said, you shall have no leader but me. And they were, like, calmed by this. While that was going on, uh, the leader of the riot, I think he was called Watt Tyler or something like that, was being beaten to death down the road oh, by damn. the king's men. And then later on, the king went back and said... Um, basically released a statement saying, you are beneath me. And it was the first time that um, he demanded to be called majesty, which meant he was majestic. He was a representative of God on earth. And that's when people say, oh, your majesty. It comes from this guy saying, look, I am partially divine. Bow down to me. Gotcha. So, and that was an 11-year-old? That was like a a, a power-crazed child, basically. And from that point, and established by a child, from that point on, the Church of England, which obviously came about because another king wanted to divorce his less fancied wife, um, (laughs) they were like, right, it is our responsibility to uphold God's place in this country, and his representative is the the king or the queen. So they have to be you know, above reproach, and this would not have gone down well as a result of that. No. It, it, they <laughs> said no. And even when he pitched the idea of the, uh, what is it, Morganic Mor- marriage? More, I don't know, how do you say it? It's uh, um, M-O-R-G-A-N-A-T-I-C. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. That anyway, thing. it's a type of marriage <laughs> where she wouldn't assume the title of queen sure. or have any sort of power, and okay. they still said no. <laughs> nope, not going to happen. Not compromising. While all that's going on, they were able to kind of pull a fast one on the British people because somehow they managed the British press out of the respect for the monarchy to yeah. not publish a word about the royal crisis that was going on behind the scenes at the mm-hmm. time. Even though in America, anymore. yeah, well, in America, they were having a field day reporting on them. Oh, they I loved bet they were. it. 
They Making loved it. Thought the print must have been going <laughs> through the roof, my God. Yes. It all came crashing down when Minister or Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin gave the King of England three options and said, first, you could give up the crazy idea of marrying this <laughs> Wallace Simpson lady, yeah. or you could marry her against Parliament's wishes and start a pandemonium, <laughs> and finally, uh, just quit, give up the throne. Yeah. No one actually expected what he would do, but he officially gave up his crown on December 10th of 1936. See, that's, Just- that's typical of, um, sorry, that's typical of British politicians at the time that they're so arrogant that they haven't even bothered looking at the nature of the person they're talking to. They're like, this guy who drinks and has women up and down the country and who introduces his mistress to his mother at a random engagement, he'll never take the crazy option. He's far too level-headed for that. It's like, why didn't you think that was the first fucking thing he was going to do? Exactly. Well, especially when his father predicted yeah. uh, less than 12 months, and he, his father he didn't knew even make it a year. Exactly. <laughs> so the next day, after jumping out of the throne and into the bed, he announced to the world via radio that he had surrendered the title, saying, I quote, I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility, as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. See, was that dramatic enough there? <laughs> that was that was very good. But what I'm getting from that, and what I'm sure a lot of people would have got from that is, look, I really like booze and and shagging married women, so I'm going to carry on doing that. Someone else can do this. I've got the money. I don't care about you. That's what most of the people would have heard. It's like, I don't care about being king. I'd much rather have a good time. Thank you. Goodbye. You're all fucked. Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Even after that public confession of sorts, they still couldn't be together, though. So they dipped on down to Austria to wait it out until her divorce went through. Mm -hmm. Because she was still married. Interesting choice Um, of destination, Austria, as well. It is an interesting choice, Mm. isn't it? He's Mm. friends with them down there in Austria. He he enjoys the country's Austrian friends. (laughs) On June 3rd, 1937, Edward and Wallace were finally married in a private ceremony in France, which nobody in his family really even attended because his brother, King George VI, banned all members of the royal family from attending, mm-hmm. which, you know, was a total dick move. Except for, if you know the other side of it, Edward was kind of being a dick too, because oh, June yeah. the 3rd was his father's birthday. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. He wasn't, yeah, that was another and, slight. And everybody in the family knew it, and they're like, you're yeah. such a asshole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> washing their hands of him at this point. You keep your $500,000 a year income that's us done with you and the family infighting kept going even though oh, yeah. uh his brother was paying his allowance out of his <laughs> own pocket because after he gave done or gave in his crown you know he wasn't entitled to that so it was king george the sixth paying his brother's allowance and and of course some of the inheritance and all of that but of course they would find all kinds of different clever ways to to jab at each other like edward wanted wallace to be called Her Royal Highness, uh, and his brother said no. And Edward Because she's not, you fucking idiot. (laughs) But Edward had the the servants in the household and and a lot of their friends call her Her Royal Highness anyway, because fuck you. (laughs) That's why. And 
He he even was uh, mean to uh, Elizabeth, his niece, yes. calling her Shirley Temple because yeah. she was stout and good-hearted mm. and a do-gooder. Yeah, he he was. This is and and that got back to it. If you watch The Crown, there's a whole like half of a season really where the Queen when she's younger finds out about what he's called her and then as she gets older she finds out about what he's been doing and stuff like that and um Shirley Temple puts him in his fucking place very quickly <laughs> I actually she's cool she, the queen like <laughs> for all her flaws she don't take no shit I I can't go into too much detail I know someone who used to guard her was a royal guard and he um, got swore at by the Queen um, because they, they'd lost sight of her. And she, this is what the guy says. I don't know how true it is. I'm sure it's true because I don't I don't have any reason to doubt what he said. Um, <laughs> he was guarding the Queen and they couldn't find her and he tried to like hunt her down. And she'd met up with Fergie for some reason. Uh, I know Fergie, and they would. Fergie was divorced from Prince Andrew at this point, but like I think Fergie was showing her a new Range Rover or something like that. And the okay. Queen looked at this person I know who came round the corner and said, "Fuck off!" and uh, <laughs> and he disappeared. So I don't know if that's true or not. I like to think it is. I like to think the Queen, even in her eighties at that point, doesn't take any shit. So yeah, I got. Yeah, I have mad respect. She reminds me a lot of my grandma. <laughs> yeah, yes, <it> does. <laughs> Um, in the aftermath of his abdication, they kind of lived in that semi-exile uh, thing. And I told mm. you, uh, well, he was being mean to his niece, and he yeah. was bickering and infighting with his family. Sure. And his brother controlled his allowance, so <laughs> he told him, hey, if you, you ever want to come back to Britain, just make sure you don't su- do so without us inviting you first. Of course, yeah. Or I'll cut off your allowance. <laughs> So, essentially, he was kind of banned from England at that point. Yeah, more or less. In 1937, while banned from England, he <laughs> took another trip down to Germany and mm. uh, met with none other than Adolf Hitler himself. Ooh, they, yes. <laughs> they actually had a meet and greet with him, uh, giving <laughs> full like a, Nazi It sounds like a YouTuber thing. It's like, I'm going to meet and greet my fans at this expo uh. center. Come along. <laughs> oh, you're a royal. Amazing. <laughs> well... It it kind of almost seems like they have a little bit of a, a friendship that oh, yeah. develops, which is just kind of weird to think of a, a British royal and Adolf mm. Hitler being friends with, you know, all that happened later but, on. But yeah, not that surprising at the time though. They gave full Nazi salutes in, mm-hmm. to the German media and were filmed um, doing a review with the SS guards, <sighs> and that rela- relationship was so friendly that Hitler is even quoted as saying. I am certain through him permanent friendly relations could have been achieved. His advocation would have served, uh, was a severe loss for us. Yeah, I I mean, I know you can say a number of um, terrible things about Adolf Hitler, but yeah, he's full of shit. There's no way he's like, oh, permanently good relations. If he'd been in charge, there wouldn't have been a war. We'd have been fine. Like, fuck off, dude. You were going for war the second you got your chance. Always, always, always selling that guy. I know. It's all propaganda all the time. But (laughs) Edward did have nice things to say about him. One Mm. friend confided Edward had said, I quote, I never thought Hitler was such a bad chap. (laughs) 
What's a dick? So, not, not quite a glowing review, but it was all right. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Oh, it was only several million. I mean, it could have been worse. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> not a bad chap. Not no. at all. Um, when war broke out in 1939, Edward and Wallace were brought back to Britain. Mm. How nice. Um, yeah. And he was made a major general attached to the British military mission in France. Right. Yeah. When Germany rolled into France, <laughs> Edward and Wallace left and went to Spain. And yes. then Portugal. And then they were like, you know what? Why don't you go be governor of the Bahamas? Great. So, you would not turn that down. Holy so that's shit. where he went. They took off during the war and went to the Bahamas. And yeah. it was more it was more because they were worried about his appeasement philosophies mm-hmm. or and they were kind of like, man, he might get involved in politics and fuck something up really yeah, exactly. bad here. It's Royally, like you flee, if you, you will. You flee France from the Nazis, and the first place you you go is fascist Spain. And that's a really poor choice of direction to go in, buddy. It, Yeah. I, honestly, I think if they would have kept him there, it could have really screwed things up. Yes. Like, Timeline-wise. Absolutely. He, he stayed down there in the Bahamas as governor doing all kinds of random weird stuff until March of 1945 when uh, his brother kind of began to fail in health. King yes, George he did, unfortunately. George VIII had some, some illness. Mm-hmm. Edward saw it as a chance to be king, be king once again. He <sighs> snuck back to England and developed a plan, but oh, he hesitated a little bit. Yeah. And uh, instead of taking over for his brother and becoming the king's regent and ruling mm. while he was ill. Um, king George the Sixth recovered from his surgery, got yep. better, and that never happened. So I think mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Um, Thank God. He, he then went and took on more of a celebrity role than a king role along yeah. with Wallace. And through the 50s and 60s, they were on television, giving interviews, hanging out with Presidents Eisenhower and Nixon. Dicks. Mm. And uh, it wasn't official capacities. They were just, you know, it's like celebrities doing the tour, being invited to the White House. and Nixon and Hitler. This guy gets around. He, he's got a type. Married women and asshole leaders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the clip for the intro. There, right there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll take it. <laughs> In the later 60s, Edward's health began to fail his himself, and on May 28th, 1972, Edward passed away at his home in Paris. Though he wasn't really a horrible guy, he mm. made some real poor choices in lovers and friends, <laughs> and yeah. gave up everything he had for a chick, which, I mean, that kind of sounds sexist, but uh, dumbass. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> she cheated on him, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened a lot. And it's because of giving it all up for a woman that cheated on him that uh, I'm going to submit him as my <laughs> contender for one of history's greatest idiots. Plus, hanging out with Hitler and being <laughs> so chummy. Yeah, <laughs> like that, by proxy, you are already one of history's greatest idiots. He's like, I'm going to go and lunch with this guy. Can you not? You fucking idiot. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... First of all, excellent. That was really good. And um, I, I really love hearing about Edward because he is... When we think about classic examples of idiots, because I know that when we, we decide, when we define the word, you know, it can be someone who's unlucky or someone who makes bad decisions or someone who's a bit of an arsehole. When I think of the classic definition of an idiot, it's this guy. 
right? Really? All right. Yes. It's <laughs> it's someone who thinks they know better than they actually do, thinks they're smarter than they are, thinks they are uh, more talented, more intelligent, more powerful than they are, and constantly screw up, drag people in with them as they screw up, and never fully recover from it and never even attempt to because they're so invested in their way of thinking that they can't see that it's fucking stupid. So... He is what I consider a classic definition of an idiot. Now, Edward himself, like you say, it's not all bad because, okay, he gave up the throne in a really difficult time in history, like the 30s, like it was a march to war. It was almost inevitable, really. Right. But he fell in love, and I'm okay with that. Like he gave up um, the throne for love and... He wasn't entirely bad. Like you say, it was mostly really stupid decisions. So, um, thankfully, because his brother stepped up, and boy, oh boy, did this guy step up, um, and his daughter has since, in, in the intervening 90 years, stepped up as well. I, I can't rate him huge, but because of the potential impact he had and the, the constant mistakes, Edward... The fallen king of England has got to be an 83, I think. Hooray! All right. <laughs> He's got to be <clears throat> high, purely because he nearly... Had he gone through with his plan, there is so many potential disastrous knock-on effects for the world. You know, the, if we hadn't had the leadership of certain people at the right time, the Nazis could have quite easily rolled into this country and and that would have been it for Europe, really. And, uh, for you know, they would have used England and Britain as a staging post for potential invasions of everywhere else. So ended up living in one of those worlds for alternate history. Like yeah, the, the man, man in, the, in the, high the high castle. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, he needs to be scored highly because of that. However, thankfully... And this sometimes randomly ha it happens in history. People step up. Like Churchill was, he wanted power. Like there's no two ways about it. Churchill wanted power and they gave it to him. And even though Churchill, from a personal perspective, is a massive arsehole, he was the right person at the right time to do the right things, make the right decisions, stuff like that. Um, the king did not want to be king, but he had to because his brother abdicated. And when he stepped up, he kind of gave strength to people in this country and a lot of people were like we've got a steady ship now thank god for these two so and that's uh, that's definitely important especially at that time absolutely and even though again churchill massive prick arsehole of the highest order you occasionally do need arseholes in the right position so there's something to yeah. be said for pricks when the chips are down really so i will t i think 83 is a good rating and I'm just glad that um, we are in a situation where we don't rely on the royals so much for our national stability and kind of um, the way we see ourselves in the world. Like we, they, they, they're like a nice little sideshow now, and they right. have their place. You know, they do what they do. You can argue for or against their existence all you want, but they really are not really as much of a factor anymore. And I'm fine with that because you know politics and politicians have to take over say what you want about them but yeah thanks to him 
the royals are less of a thing now. So thank you, Edward. You fucking idiot. Um, and and way to way to way to set the standard for that abdication for love thing. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> also, one one random thing, right? You were mentioning Wallace Simpson many many years ago. I say many many years ago. It was about six or seven. I took my wife. Oh no, where was it? No, my wife took me. Goodness me, when, which birthday was this? It was in my thirties, and my wife took me for my birthday to a cinema around the corner from where we live. Now, this cinema had been restored to its pre-war glory. So you had all this beautiful Art Deco-like designs. The seats were like plush leather reclining things. You had, a, uh, they could move. They had, you had a little table. So instead of like a cinema where you're sat in rows, think about like a Vegas show where you've got, like, groups of chairs around a table, you've got a bar, you can order food, you can have stuff brought to you, and you've got a fucking massive cinema screen in front of you, and it's beautifully designed. So my wife took me into the cinema. She knows how much I love cinema. And I was in heaven. I I was like, oh, this is so good. What are we watching? And she was like, it's a film called W. It's directed by Madonna. It's about Wallace Simpson. I was like, oh, (laughs) fucking hell. (laughs) And, well... The place is nice. Yeah, I was like, well, it's beautiful. And I was kind of distracted by that and the fact that we had this beautiful like setup, really comfortable seat, really nice food and drink and stuff. But also, the film was made better by the fact that on that day, it was mother and baby day. So about 40 <laughs> women who had just given birth to babies came in. So you got this awful drama which venerate venerated Wallace Simpson it made her out to be some sort of saint and it was actually the royals who were evil because of course Madonna was going to do that um, yeah. and it was made all the better for the fact that there were babies going <laughs> all the way through and like occasionally crying you could hear them farting it was just amazing <laughs> it improved the film so much that I was like oh this has turned into a comedy now this is great Madonna can really direct as long as there's women and babies in the room that's hilarious it's like mystery science theater with babies. It really was. It was so good hearing like oh Wallace Simpson going, "Oh, but Edward, I just want to love you for who you are." <laughs> and baby soils itself. <laughs> it's like perfect timing. I swear to God, it was it was such a funny experience. But that's my collective memory of Wallace Simpson is this terrible Madonna film in a beautiful cinema surrounded by babies. Seems so, legit. It was so weird. <laughs> anyway. I have got a doozy for you this week, and I'm aware that we're running long, but I have got a lot of information for you. It's just going to be a long episode. Congratulations, dear listener. You're getting an extra long episode because my guy is going to make you probably so angry that you will want to punch whatever device this is being played through. Uh Uh-oh. If you type the most hated man in America into Google, it immediately redirects you to Martin Shkreli. Uh-oh. Does that mean anything okay. to you? He's got a nickname. The nickname is Farmer Bro, as in Farmer Bro. P-H-A-R-M-A, as in pharmacological drugs, stuff like that. Oh, damn. Also, <laughs> also described as the man with the most punchable face in the world... Shkreli shot to infamy off the back of a number of deliberately horrible and actually borderline evil acts before swiftly falling at the hands of karma slash the federal government. And let's tell you the tale of Martin Uh, Shkreli. 
You said karma. I was thinking stripper. Federal government works <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. No, there, there were probably strippers in there as well, but we just there's almost no time with the amount of shit this guy got up to. Shkreli was born in Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn on March the 17th, 1983, to Albanian immigrant parents, both of whom worked as janitors. Um, Shkreli, his two sisters, and his brother grew up in a working-class community in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. Didn't even know that was a place or a thing. It makes me think of some sort of, like, like main country kind of rolling sands place, but I, I don't think it is. It's far as I know, it's kind of a little bit like that. I don't think it looks right. like a sheep's head at all. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, by all accounts, uh, Shkreli was raised Catholic and attended Sunday school as a child. Uh, Shkreli attended Hunter College High School. He dropped out before his senior year, but received the credits necessary for his high school diploma through a program, and oh, history will not be kind to this program, that placed him in an internship at a Wall Street, uh, Wall Street hedge fund Kramer, Berkowitz, and company when he was 17. So he couldn't finish school, but they're like, oh, we got this program. Do you want to go to Wall Street and maybe learn some stuff there? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. It gets me out of high school. Um, in, uh, let me go, I've lost my place here. <laughs> Sorry, go on. What were you going to say? I was going to say, no wonder Wall Street sucks so much. They're putting high school dropouts in there to run things. Yeah, not only high school dropouts, but um, probably psychopaths as well when you hear the story of this guy. Sorry, it's going to take oh, a, yeah. quick, a quick slip. It's full of psychopaths on Wall Street. Oh, my That's God. Like, like American Psycho movie. That's where yeah. he works. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> in March 2015, Hunter College High School announced that Shkreli, um, I've got to get this name right, it's S-H- K-R-E-L-I. So I'm thinking Shkreli or something. That sounds right. That sounds I think about so. right, yeah. Um, the high school announced that Shkreli had donated a million dollars, which was the largest donation in the school's history. A large number of people and former students protested the donation because they saw it as blood money. We'll get to why in a minute. Shkreli received okay. a bachelor's degree in business administration from Baruch College in 2004. So at this point, there aren't really any outward signs of his future as, like, a little shit. But um, yeah. we, we don't know his personal life back then. Um, we don't know if there were certain elements in his childhood, maybe odd behaviours or things that happened at home or in his private life that maybe shaped how he would go on to behave. And the second he leaves high school, it starts the downward slope of, like towards being a little punchable shit face. Um, during Shkreli's time at Kramer, Berkowitz & Company, he recommended short-selling the stock of uh, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, a biotech company, testing a weight loss drug. When its price dropped in accordance with Shkreli's prediction, Kramer's hedge fund profited. Of course they did. Shkreli's prediction drew the attendant, uh, uh, sorry, attention of the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, which investigated his knowledge about the stock, but was unable to prove any wrongdoing on his part. So this is when he's just out of high school. You're all, you're already like, you're a bit fucking dodgy, aren't you? Yeah, he's learning how to work the system. He, well, yeah, and God mm -hmm. knows how he's doing that, <laughs> legally or Ill illegally. Uh, he started his first hedge fund, Elia Capital Management, in 2006. In 2007, Lehman Brothers sued Elia in New York State Court for failing to cover a put, uh, a 
it's called a put option transaction in which Shkreli bet the wrong way on um, a broad market decline. When the right. stocks rose, uh, Shkreli didn't have the money to make the bank whole. In October 2007, Lehman Brothers won a $2.3 million judgment, uh, default judgment, in fact, against Shkreli and Aaliyah. But Lehman collapsed before it could collect the ruling because it was 2007. Yep. We know what kind of decisions they were making around that time. Yeah, we were bursting bubbles over here. We were, yeah. We were setting <laughs> ourselves up for a giant fall all over the world. It wasn't just over there, buddy. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> In September 2009, Shkreli started MSMB Capital Management, which took its name from the initials of the two founding portfolio managers, Shkreli and his childhood friend, Marek Biastek. I think that is. Shkreli and Biastek shorted biotech companies, then described flaws in the companies on stock trading chat rooms, like the little shits they were. I remember this asshole now. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is the start of all the terribleness. On February the 1st, 2011, in a naked short sale on an account it held with Merrill Lynch, MSMB Capital uh, sold short 32 million shares of Oroxygen Therapeutics stock at about $2.50 per share uh, the day after its price plunged from $9.09. When the Food and Drug Administration declined to approve the drug um, contra- what's that? Contrave, I think it is, the stock price rebounded. MSMB could not cover the position, although it, was told, it had told Merrill Lynch that it could. Um, Merrill Lynch lost $7 million on that trade, and MSMB capital was virtually wiped out because... They were fucking idiots again. Because they're betting. They're they're using the stock market like a casino. They're betting, but they're doing it with no money. So it's like, I'm going to put this bet on. Do you have money? It's there, trust us. So yeah. uh, Great, great start. Um, so yeah, a few years credit's into credit's never horrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A few years into his career, and he's already screwing over his contemporaries. Which, you know, like it's Wall Street. Do you really care if some hedge funders lose a shitload of money? I don't think anyone other than hedge funders. I cheer really it care every about. now and again. Uh, yeah, a little bit. You get a little bit of glee, like. Um, but he probably wouldn't have become as famous as he is if he hadn't decided to move on to pissing off the rest of America slash hip hip hop fans everywhere. Um, we'll get to that oh part in a second. Oh boy, <laughs> Shkreli founded um, Retrofin. Uh, a portmanteau of replace dystrophin or something in 2011 under the MSMB umbrella and ran it as a portfolio company with an emphasis on biotechnology to create treatments for rare diseases. Retrofin's board decided to replace Shkreli in September 2014 and he resigned from the company the following month. He was replaced by some guy who isn't important. I don't know why I've even written that down. During Shkreli's tenure as CEO, the company's employees used alias Twitter accounts to make gangster rap jokes and encourage short selling of bio stocks on the internet. That's that's probably illegal. What? I know. Wait, they're making gangster rap jokes under yeah. And, uh, and it's affecting the stock market? Yeah, well, the thing is, they're doing two things. They're making gangster rap jokes, and they're, so they're, they'll be telling jokes about, I don't know, in in lang- lingo jokes about uh, gangster rap and stuff like that, and then they'll be like, by the way, you need to short this stock. It's like, oh, come on. 
Can anybody <laughs> just... not work out what's going on here? Yeah. Little Good shit. Job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> After Shkreli's departure, Retrofin filed a $65 million lawsuit against him in August 2015, claiming that he had breached his duty of loyalty to the biopharmaceutical company in a long-running dispute, dispute over his use of company funds and committed stock trading irregularities and other violations of securities rules. We can remember this. This is important for the future. The lawsuit okay. alleged that Shkreli had threatened and harassed, uh, harassed a former MSMB employee and his family. He's turned into a fucking mobster at this point with access to yeah. Twitter. Dude. That didn't last, actually, either. <laughs> I, I know I know somebody else's Twitter didn't last very long. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, uh, Shkreli and some of his business associates have, it says have, present tense, been under criminal investigation by the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York since January 2015. I don't know if anything's happened with that. I couldn't find any more information. Uh, Shkreli invoked his Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination in order to avoid testifying during civil dis uh, depositions. So okay, we're about to get to the truly evil shit now. Here we go. Okay. In May 2014, Shkreli had difficulty accessing uh, public markets for capital, but received a $4 million Series A funding round and a pipe deal valued at $10 million underwritten by Roth Capital Partners. After obtaining the finances, Shkreli was able to acquire rights to market Tyor Pronin, brand name Thiolar, Thiolar. Yeah, Thialar. That's uh, these these names are going to get really complicated now. They're drug names. I apologize in advance. Um, it was a drug <laughs> used to treat the rare disease cystinuria. Okay, and another drug called Chenodol. Chenodol, and subsequently raised the price of each drug. Um, with Thialin being marked up by twenty times its original price, from one dollar fifty per pill to thirty dollars per pill little shit this dick i know yeah. and to top it all <laughs> off with that specific drug patients need to take 10 to 15 ta pills a day so even oh, at yeah. one dollar fifty that's a very expensive uh round now if you're charging 30 dollars per pill that's basically unaffordable to anyone but the super rich really exactly what a yeah. you have money to not die exactly yeah and uh, Chenadol was uh, the price of that was increased fivefold. Retrofin did not lower the price of these drugs after Shkreli's departure. So it's like the, all of these people, and this is a common theme here. You'll see all of these boards were like, "Oh, he's so bad. I'm glad we've got rid of him, but we're not putting our prices back down." So yeah, the evil is money? throughout these organizations. Um, Shkreli founded Turing Pharmaceuticals in February 2015 after his departure from Retrofin. He launched Turing with three drugs in development uh, acquired from Retrofin, an intranasal version of ketamine for depression, which I've heard about before, actually, an intranasal version of oxytocin, 
and a uh-huh. Vecamil for hypertension. So loads of stuff going on there. Shkreli set a business strategy for Turing, and this is where it gets really shady, to obtain licenses on out-of-patent medicines, reevaluate the pricing of each in pursuit of a windfall profit for the new company. So without the need to develop any new drugs, that's the easiest way of making money. Markets for out-of-patent drugs are often really small, apparently, and obtaining regulatory approval to manufacture a generic version is very expensive. So the company calculated that with closed distribution for the product and no competition, it could set ridiculously high prices. On October the 10th, 2015, in accordance with Shkreli's business plan, Turing acquired Daraprin, a medication approved by the FDA in 1953 for Impact's laboratories for $55 million. The drug's prominent use of a late 2015... uh, uh, Sorry... The drug's most prominent use as of late 2015 was as an anti-malarial and anti-parasitic in conjunction with other drugs to treat patients with AIDS-related and AIDS-unrelated toxoplasmosis. So it's an AIDS drug that you take in conjunction with a couple of others. Part of the cocktail. Yeah. The patent for Daraprin had expired, but no generic version was available. I have to take a deep breath before I say this next lot. On September the 17th, 2015, Helio, an independent, uh, sorry, an in-depth clinical information website for healthcare specialists, reported on a letter from the Infectious Disease Societies of America and the HIV Medicine Association, two executives at Turing, questioning a new price for Daraprin. The price of a dose of the drug in the US market increased from $13.50 per pill to $750 per pill overnight. No warning. Yeah. They just hiked the price. The price increase was widely criticised jointly by the Infectious Disease Society of America and the HIV Medicine Association, by the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, and soon thereafter by presidential candidates Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Donald fucking Trump. Yeah, you know, you're (laughs) fucking up when he's saying, no, that's not right. I know. From Donald Trump? Donald (laughs) fucking Trump is dunking on you. I think you might be Satan in this instance, because if you're evil by Donald Trump standards, you might be from another plane of existence. Um, That's a, yeah, a whole other level. (laughs) Also, I have to make a point here. This this one really bothered me, certainly as someone who's like a fan of history and, and historic figures that didn't go that didn't really get the recognition they deserved until very recently. He named his company after Alan Turing, right? Alan Turing, the man who invented the Enigma machine, cracked the Nazi code and saved literally millions of lives in the process and shortened the war by years. Um, Turing was chemically castrated by the government when they found out that he was gay and he was carrying on gay affairs. This is years before it was decriminalised. They said, you can either go to prison or we can chemically castrate you. And he took the chemically castration option, and then a couple of years later, he took his own life. So the man that had literally saved millions of people um, took his own life because our government did not like gay people at the time. It's just gross. Um, And this arsehole decided to name his company, which is using his name to 
deny access to HIV treatment. I just it it makes me that's, feel really wrong. That's yeah. That makes that makes you feel a little dirty. <sighs> it's. And and you know what that, he he knew exactly what he was doing. Again, this is a little shit who knew exactly what he was doing when he named the company that, and he would not have yeah. been unaware of the irony when he acquired the rights to a HIV drug and then whacked the price up so that gay people might have died. You know, it's yeah. gross to the highest possible level. Anyway, it's it's going to get more interesting. On November the 23rd, 2015, Turing announced that the company would not reduce the list price of Daraprin, these companies, but said it planned instead to negotiate volume discounts of up to 50% for hospitals. Turing issued a statement that it was not as important to cut the list price as to reduce the cost to hospitals where most patients get their initial treatment. The company pledged that no no patient needing Daraprin would ever be denied access. Infectious disease specialists and patient advocates, including Tim Horn of the Treatment Action Group and Carlos Del Rio of the HIV Medicine Association, said Turing's actions were insufficient given that the patients initially treated for days at a hospital typically have to continue the treatment for weeks or months after leaving. So great, you're giving them a 50% discount at the door, but that only counts if they're having one visit. They're coming back months and months and months. It's kind of like a drug dealer. It is, isn't it? Only, you know, backed by licenses. Uh, yep. Now it's time for in co- for popular culture, what is considered the biggest dick move of the whole thing. Shkreli won an auction <laughs> for the Wu-Tang Clan album Once Upon a Time in Shaolin after the single copy of the album was sold via Paddle 8 on November the 24th, 2015 for 2 million US dollars on October... This, this just yeah, makes me... Yeah, that son of a bitch. Little shit. Disrespecting the Wu-Can. As soon as he did that... <laughs> As soon as he did that, he's like, right, he's lost the internet. You are fucked, kid. In October 2016, Shkreli said on his Twitter account that he would release the album for free uh, downloads if Donald Trump won the 2016 US presidential election and would destroy the album forever if Hillary Clinton won. What a... Is that how he won? That... I'm I'm starting to wonder if it is. Because everyone's like, oh my God... I hate Wu-Tang fans. Well, not even that. It's like people who are like, fuck, I hate Donald Trump, but I like the Wu-Tang Clan and I need this in my collection. I'd, we have to vote for Trump. Yeah. It's the only way forward for culture, really. It's logical, yeah. That's how he got so much popular support, I, I guess. That's anyway, how it happened. Exactly. Um, <laughs> he sh- and this is the thing. After Trump won... He only shared the intro and one track the day after Trump became the president-elect. So he didn't even keep his word he, on that. He only gave us two son tracks. Of a bitch. Little shit. <laughs> but and and I know that some of you listening to this will either be laughing or fuming at this. Here comes karma. On December the 17th, just before Christmas, God, there is a God in this universe, 2015, <laughs> Shkreli was arrested by the FBI at a, uh, after a federal indictment in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York was filed, charging him with securities fraud. The charges were filed after an investigation into the tenure 
at MSMB Capital and Retrofin. U.S. attorney Robert Capers, awesome name, said Shkreli essentially ran his company like a Ponzi scheme where he used each subsequent company to pay off defrauded investors from the prior company. This is legit. Yep. That, that'll do it. That'll get you some prison time. Federal capers pros- over there cracking capers. <laughs> Federal prosecutors said that Shkreli and co-defendant Evan Griebel awesome name as well, Uh, engaged in multiple schemes to ensnare investors through a web of lies and deceit. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, sorry, I fucking love this, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Shkreli said that he was targeted by law enforcement for his price heights um, of the drug Paraprin, I mean, probably, and his flamboyant personality, right? I wouldn't call him flamboyant. Exactly. You aren't fucking flamboyant, right? Liberace is flamboyant. David Bowie was flamboyant. Oscar Wilde was flamboyant. You're just a dick. Yeah, flamboyant is fun. Flamboyant is fun. exuberant and ent- like entertaining and, and charismatic. And you're just a greasy little shit that needs punching, basically. Yeah. Um, like, I-, I know in the past, like... I- I don't hate typically in my life anymore, and I know we've tried to see the the good side of people who fucked up in history. Yeah, like even like Malachi Love Robinson who defrauded people and all of that stuff. I I cannot stand this guy, Martin yeah. Shkreli. No. Um, anyway, it gets better due to Shkreli's notoriety and overwhelmingly negative public opinion. It was difficult to select an unbiased jury for his trial. Uh-huh. With potential jurors during selection stating, "I'm aware of the defendant and I hate him." <laughs> <laughs> Another one said, "He looks kind of like a dick." And yeah. my personal <laughs> my personal favorite, he disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, you can't disrespect Wu-Tang, no, man. you cannot do that, you little <laughs> bastard. At his 2017 <laughs> trial, Shkreli said that none of his investors actually lost money. Some actually turned a profit, and thus his actions did not constitute a crime. I'm not sure if you understand how the law works, dude. Just because something went well doesn't mean you didn't commit a crime for it to happen to go well. Um, yeah. It was ridiculous. I mean, those dudes that... Uh... Rob Banks profit and shit Exactly. Too. And the banks get their money back through insurance anyway. So, yes, it's still a crime, you idiot. Uh, Shkreli's <laughs> frequent criticisms of the federal prosecutors in New York's Eastern District, who he called Junior Varsity, compared to oh. their counterparts in the Southern District across the, Eastern, uh, the East River, both on his Facebook streaming video feed and in the hallways of the courthouse. What are you fucking doing? <laughs> Uh, led those prosecutors to request that um, Judge Kyo Matsumoto issue a gag order to prevent what they called a campaign of disruption, and that's exactly what it was. Like he is—he's clearly trying to fuck with the trial, isn't he? Would have been dope if they literally gagged him. I know. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> um, his lawyer said in response that his client was responding to baiting from the media and was also suffering from extreme uh. anxiety because of his situation. It doesn't sound like it may. I, you're not. No one's buying that. Matsumoto mm. ordered Shkreli not to speak with reporters either in the courthouse or its immediate vicinity. So he's basically saying, get in your fucking car and go home. We don't want you yep. here. 
On August 4th, 2017, the trial jury found Shkreli guilty on two counts of securities fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit securities fraud, and not guilty on five other counts. Shkreli said he was delighted with the outcome, describing his prosecution as a witch hunt of epic proportions. Please, someone punch him. I don't care if he's listening to this in prison. Someone punch this man. Right in the mouth. Right in the face or balls. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Uppercut. <laughs> Uppercut to the jewels. Um, okay, on September the 13th, 2017, his bail was revoked following a Facebook po- Oh, my God. Following a Facebook <laughs> post offering $5,000 for a strand of Hillary Clinton's hair which the judge... I mean, that's creepy as fuck. The judge perceived yeah. it as a solicitation to assault, which is not protected under the First Amendment. You can't say, I can say whatever I want. Go and kill this person and give me their hair. So, right, ask 6 9 about that one. Fuck it. Yeah. He rapped about it and went to prison and ratted everybody out. Exactly. Oh, oh, God, there's a potential for another episode, isn't there? Wait. When was Epstein in prison? Because um, I'm trying to think. Were they at the same one? Why do you want him? They might have been at the same one, possibly, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they were both in okay. isolation. That's for damn sure. Um, so, yeah, so he, he's had his um, bail revoked. Shkreli posted, uh, Shkreli's post was preceded by others that suggested he might have plans to clone Hillary Clinton. That's why he was asking for the hair, not because he's a weirdo. Um, Shkreli said that his post was satire and his lawyer described it as tasteless, but not a threat. Shkreli uh. admitted the post to add a disclaimer that it was, uh, edited the post to add a disclaimer that it was satire and later said he did this minutes after publication. So it's fine. It's fine. You cleared you, it up. If you've got to point out that it's satire... You're not yeah. doing it well. Also, why are you doing satirical things that might be considered assault when you're on bail? What the fuck is yeah. wrong with you, you idiot? Well, um, as smart as he is. No. <laughs> well, high school dropout that got the credits through scamming people. Shkreli apologized for the post. He was sent to the Metropolitan Detention Center, Brooklyn, while awaiting sentencing. Shkreli appealed... Go to your room. Yes. Shkreli appealed the conviction, but in 2019, an appeals court unanimously upheld the jury verdict. The original judgment remained in effect. Shkreli must continue to serve his seven-year sentence and forfeit more than $7.3 million in assets. The panel of judges issued the ruling just three weeks after hearing arguments in the appeal, rather than a normal period of months and months and months. The ruling was also unusually short, spanning only seven pages, which was probably just all of the judges signing fuck Martin Shkreli over and over again <laughs> in fecal matter or something. Um, <laughs> just seven pages of that. Like something out uh, like a worse version of The Shining. Dull boy. I know. Asshole. (laughs) What a little shit. He's also lost millions of dollars in fines, civil penalties, civil suits, and other court issued forfeitures, but he's still worth 30 to 50 million dollars thanks to his shares in Turing Pharmaceuticals. And thus ends the tale of Martin Shkreli, the most hated man in America, farmer bro, and according to a number of people, the most punchable face in the world. So I would agree. Yeah. That guy's a dick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to ask you, what do you think of Martin Shkreli? It's, it's 
because again, we talk about the definition of idiot. This guy had grand delusions that he was some sort Indeed. of genius, and he kept on fucking up. And eventually, it was only a matter of time before he was caught. Really, wasn't it? It and it wasn't really that he was like smart and whatnot. Yeah. His delusions of grandeur was just he was really good at sales or tricking. Yeah, people. he was very. I guess in a one-to-one sales call, he was charismatic. It definitely doesn't come across in interviews, but he's good at selling, so he's I, got that. He's maybe maybe it wasn't even that. It was just he was really good at cheating at gambling on yep. on the market. Absolutely. So, I mean, I can win at roulette too if I know the number it's going to land on before. Exactly, and, and if I you can influence it them. by telling people in. Fucking Twitter boards between gangster rap jokes that, oh, you should definitely short sell this. If you do that <laughs> enough times, the stock will fall, you know? So Yes. Yep. Yep. Fuck yep. You know. I mean, I'm thinking because of that, uh, the AIDS drug yeah. affected the lives of a ton of people Fuck. and uh, the raising of prices of other drugs that, that he was involved in yeah. affected and co- may have caused the, the death or suffering at least. Oh, def- I mean, of- yeah. Yeah. So many people. Yeah. Not not only that, he's the dude that taught the drug companies that it was okay to fuck everybody I over. I know, I know. And like as if like pharmaceutical companies needed any more help in being dastardly. Like this right. like high school dropout it somehow, even though he has basically no knowledge of anything other than hiking prices and fucking people over, showed them a new way of, of fucking people over, really. Just terrible. So, yeah. And then his, his horrible attempt at irony and <sighs> hipstering with the touring company. Yeah. I'm going to go 97 on this guy. Oh, Martin Shkreli for the win. Dude, he's a dick. He's bad. He is. <laughs> when we, I, and again, we go back to the definition of idiot. You know, we, we talked about Edward, and Edward was, he was a classic idiot because he thought he was really good, he thought he could make a difference, but actually all he wanted was to just fuck around and party. He didn't want any other responsibility. And when he had the opportunity to do the right thing, he regularly fucked up. Like, oh, I'm just going to go and hang out with Hitler. No, don't do that when, you know, your brother's at war with the, the guy. Shkreli, right. on the other hand, is an idiot in a similar vein because he thinks he's better than he is. He thinks he's this fucking Svengali of the market and this genius hedge fund guy, when actually he's just a guy that lucked into a position by doing some really dodgy things, and it was literally a matter of time before his world came crashing down. And to be quite honest, the stuff he's done, seven years, isn't really long enough, but I think his kind of career is over unless... We get a fucking Jordan Belfort, like Martin Scorsese type film, which somehow redeems him, I guess. But I don't see it happening. I don't think I would ever want to watch a film where the protagonist of the film is Martin Shkreli. I think I'd end up destroying my TV. Yeah, at least Jordan Belfort, they could make him a little bit yeah. likable. There's nothing likable about this no, guy. No, it's like, it's Shkreli, I mean, for as far as we know, he wasn't out, like, partying and throwing these wild parties that went on for days and, like, flying right. a yacht through a storm and shit like that. He's just <laughs> stealing from everyone and doing it really badly. So he's not yeah, charismatic. And- he's just a thief, basically. Any. 
And he used irony for evil, which just really makes me mad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, the one good thing we can say is that when you meet an idiot like a Martin Shkreli or an Edward, they are guaranteed to get their comeuppance because they are clearly not Gregor McGregor. They are not the kind of person that can worm their way, squirm their way even, out of any situation and just retire kind of unaffected by everything. Or even the kind of person where you're like, oh, they'll be able to turn their life around. No, these people are set in their ways. They are determined to be assholes. They don't even realise it half the time and eventually they get their comeuppance. So fuck them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our show um, um, for this this week. How how do you feel about the failed King Edward and Martin Shkreli, the farmer shit? See, I didn't come hard enough with uh, Edward here. But... See, that's the thing. I yeah, think you... you probably did, but I was because I was I'm in an R in for days. I was like, who should I do? I've got a couple of guys in mind who might be kind of interesting again. There, guys, but. Um, Shkreli when I was like oh yeah that guy oh I have to do him <laughs> I forgot about him but I remember yeah it's all come flooding just angry yeah all the time seeing him I, yeah I remember when it happened at the time and the news coverage because reporters and journalists especially people who consider themselves like hardcore journalists to the bone like oh I have to do like devil's advocate journalism where I have to like present both sides of the argument and maybe question like certain aspects of why this might have happened nobody was on this guy's side not even fucking fox news like this guy <laughs> so not even trump trump murdoch all the kind of court gestures gestures of arseholery were against <clears throat> this guy so when you have nobody in your corner other than leeching pharmaceutical companies that want to make a buck you know you're in the wrong basically see so and that's the thing, too, is the dude, like, most of the time, a bad guy, you can try to look at it from their side of the story, and maybe it wasn't all the reasons you think. Yeah. Maybe they weren't being evil for the evil's sake of it. Yeah. But I think he really just liked being bad. Yeah. He liked... He, so, I think he got, like, addicted to the catharsis of being that guy that people hated. Some people will get yeah. that, but the thing is, when you... Because people get into arguments on the internet all the time. I do it. It's it's really bad. I've stopped doing it so much these days. But you can get addicted to the catharsis that comes from feeling like you've won an argument with someone. Because you feel like you're right, you've set them in their place, and now they've got it. They're blocked. They will forever know that they were wrong and you won the argument. Like I understand that's a thing, especially in modern internet culture. But Martin Shkreli seem to actually get off on being the most hated man in America to the point where you think maybe he is a psychopath because of yep. the way he feels about it. Like, there may be a genuine yep. narcissistic personality disorder going on here. So. Well, now you're making me feel bad. <laughs> well, don't feel too bad. <laughs> if he is a psychopath, he doesn't care what you think, so feel bad if you want. And if you're somebody that's listening that sits on a board and you have somebody that oh, comes in and is like, hey, you know what we can do? <laughs> Just say no. Profits yeah. aren't that important. Yeah, like if you're doing okay, <laughs> if you're doing 8% margin every year and some little shit that somehow got into your organization comes in and goes, I want to jack the price up by 3,000%, send him home. 
and tell him to yeah. come in with better ideas tomorrow because that will only come back to bite you in the ass decades down the line because yes you'll make money in the short term you will get so much negative press that that shit will be on the company's tombstone when it goes under down the line and it will your name will live on in infamy alongside some of the worst companies in history so don't listen to the martin shkreli's of the world um I just realized I just told drug companies to just say no. <laughs> they don't know Oops. the meaning of the word. Also, uh, Pfizer, thank you for my immunization. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's our show. Um, I really enjoyed that. I uh, I, w- I really love uh, remembering uh, like Edward because, and also I would highly recommend you watch The Crown because while it is a little bit fluffy, around the edges um it is a very good representation of what went on in that time and yeah he is a fucking idiot and shrelly just two classic idiots this week i love it when we get like there's no gray area with these two they are fucking idiots so there we go thank you so much and yeah that's that's our show for this week if you are out there and you are thinking of abdicating your authority because you want to go around and sleep with someone who may or may not be a spy, along with a bunch of her married friends. Or if you happen to get a position of power amongst a very important company, and you decide that the best way to improve your station in that company is to jack up the price of something that could save or aid someone's life, just don't do it. Don't be Martin Shkreli, and don't be King or failed King Edward. So, um, thank you very much for listening. Derek, Could you? would you like to say goodbye to everybody, please? Goodbye, everybody. And we will <laughs> see you again soon. Take care. Bye now. <laughs>